I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we read verses 1 through 12, and we read in Jesus' name. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your brother? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take these words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would apply them to our lives today, that you would challenge, encourage and strengthen us. Uh, draw us, Lord, to yourself. Help us, as this passage says, to humble ourselves in your sight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice how this passage of Scripture begins with a question. One of many questions in the book of James. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is that a question that needs to be asked of believers? <laughs> what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You know, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of um, a little bit sad to think that James would have to ask a question like this. Uh, he's writing to believers. He's writing to people that know Jesus as their Savior. And yet he has to ask this question, what is the cause? Why, why is there conflict among you. That's the reality that there are times in congregations, in ministries where, where there's conflict. Battling going on between a believer and other believer. And, and there are times when that can get, how should I put it, a little bit nasty. I'm thankful I haven't had to witness a lot of this in my years of ministry, but I've seen some of it. And it's not a pleasant experience. It grieves the hearts of God's people when there is conflict, when there is disunity in a congregation. And I believe it grieves the heart of God. So why does this happen? What is the source 
of quarrels and conflicts among you. As James answers this question in our text, he gives three causes of conflict in the church. The first thing he says that conflict comes when we lose the battle that's going on within us. With every believer, there is a battle that goes on every day. There's a battle that goes on within us. Uh, The Bible describes it many different ways. The flesh against the spirit, the old nature against the new nature. There is that battle that goes on. And the picture that James gives in verse 1 is with the word wage war. It's a military term. It's written in the present tense. And thus it emphasizes ongoing action. In other words, our hearts are really a continuous battleground. And James describes our enemy in verse 1 as our pleasures. Notice what he says. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Interesting picture. Your pleasures that wage war in your members. The word pleasures is the Greek word hedonon from which we get our English word hedonism. What is hedonism? Well, hedonism is the philosophy that pleasure is the chief aim in life. It's the philosophy that you do what feels good. You probably heard it said, you only go around once in life. So enjoy it. Live it up. Do whatever brings pleasure to you. Popular philosophy, isn't it? And it's really seen in our day today where people, they don't want to stand under any authority. They don't want to stand under the authority of God. They just want to do what they want, when they want, what they want, regardless of what anybody else says. Living for pleasure, hedonism. I find it interesting that James doesn't mention any specific things that we might desire because there are so many different things he could have mentioned. And it's probably different for every individual. He simply says in verse 2 that you lust and do not have. So what do people lust for? For some, it's power that they desire. For others, it's prestige they want. For some, it's possessions. For others, it's a certain position. And so all of us battle with some kind of self-centered pleasure. And that's why we have problems in our relationships, James says. We battle with others because of the battle that goes on within us. This battle within us clearly has an impact on our relationship with God, doesn't it? What does he say in in verse 2 or verse 3? He says, you ask... And you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So it affects a person's relationship with God. If you're living for pleasure, if that's your goal in life, then that affects your relationship with God because then you want God to answer those selfish prayers so you can spend it on your pleasure. So our prayer life, then instead of saying, thy will be done, what happens? It's my will be done. Okay, Lord, here's what I want. You just rubber stamp it. Here's my desire. Here's what I want to happen. Lord, is that okay? I want you to agree with that. I want you to answer that that prayer. The battle within also hinders our relationship with other people. 
It causes conflict with others because we end up wanting the same things, right? And so we envy one another, we battle one another because we have the same selfish desires. Abe Lincoln was seen walking with his two sons one day, and they were both crying. And someone asked him, Abe, what's wrong with your boys? He said, I've got three walnuts, and they each want two. (laughs) There's human nature, right? Three walnuts, each want two. Came across an interesting illustration of how this kind of attitude has an impact on our life. It's called Nine Great Ideas. See See if you think these are great ideas. My idea of visitation, everybody come and see me. My idea of sympathy, everybody suffering with me. My idea of a sinner, the man for whom I have great dislike. My idea of a meek man, the man who yields to me. My idea of a contentious man, the man who takes issue with me. My idea of a wise man, the man who listens to me. My idea of unity, everybody agreeing with me. My idea of cooperation, everyone working with me. My idea of a good sermon, how about this one? One that fits and hits everyone else but me. You know, is there anything common with those nine so-called great ideas? What is it? It's all about me, right? It's all about me. My goals, my desires, everybody should just do what, what I want to do because I've got these pleasures I need to be fulfilled in my life and everybody else should just do what, what I want to do. If this is how we live our lives, then we've lost the battle within and we're headed for conflict, aren't we? We're headed for conflict. And if we don't get control of these sinful pleasures in our lives, do you realize the results can be disastrous? Did you notice what James says in verse 2? He says, you lust and do not have. So what do you do? You commit murder, he says. It's just like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Who are you writing to here? <laughs> You're writing to believers. You lust and do not have. And so... You get rid of the person. Has that happened? Oh, you bet it has. Go back to the Old Testament. David wanted Bathsheba. What did he do? Had her husband killed in in battle. There's the end result of living that kind of a life for pleasure. If someone else gets in the way, we'll just deal with them. That might be an extreme example, but that's that's the result of Living for pleasure, if someone gets in the way of my pleasure, he's done with. Pretty powerful enemy. The pleasures within us. Notice, secondly, conflict comes not only when we lose the battle within, but when we lose the battle with the world. Besides the battle within us, we also face a battle around us, don't we? We live in a fallen world. And the world would seek to cause us to really follow those selfish desires. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says that the world tries to squeeze us into its mold, according to J.B. Phillips. The world's way of living is in perfect agreement with our sinful flesh. It's the way of self-centeredness. It's the way of pleasure. It's aiming to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, as long as it gives you pleasure. So the world really adds fuel to the fire of our sinful pleasures. Our, our, Our flesh says, go for it. The world says, yeah, do it, do it. Follow your heart. Follow your desires. Do what you want to do. But notice what happens when we adopt the world's way of thinking and living. James tells us that we end up in opposition to God. He says in verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, when we deliberately line up with the values of the world, God has no choice but to oppose us because the world stands in opposition to him. And if God is opposing us, we are in trouble, aren't we? If God is opposing us because we are taking our stand with the values of the world, we're in trouble. And that leads to conflict with one another. So we have the battle within, we have the battle around us. And then James also says that we face a battle with our enemy, with the devil, with with Satan himself. He doesn't spend as much time here describing the devil's work in our lives, but it's clear that he is involved in our conflict. That's why verse 7 says that the devil is to be resisted. Because he wants to bring division in the body of Christ. He wants to bring conflict among believers, and he will do anything he can to destroy the unity of the body of Christ. The devil will use anger to divide the body. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27 tells that anger gives the devil a foothold. That's why Paul says, don't go to bed angry. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Anger, Satan uses. How about unforgiveness? To divide the body. In 2 Corinthians 2 verses 8 through 11, Paul says that this is one of Satan's schemes to get people to not forgive when there's been hurt in the body of Christ. Hebrews 12:15 says he will use bitterness, a root of bitterness that springs up and many are defiled from bitterness. So Satan wants to destroy the unity of the church. And there are some believers that are simply letting him do it. They make excuses for their anger, their bitterness, their unwillingness to forgive. And as a result, conflict never gets resolved. Never gets resolved. There are people hanging on to to things that were said or done from months and years ago. And they feel like they got a right to be angry, right to be bitter, right to not forgive. And Satan laughs, causes conflict amongst believers. So if we battle within and battle with the world and 
battle with the devil? How, how, do, we, how do we overcome that? What, what is the, the cure for conflict in the church? James tells us two things. First of all, he says, instead of submitting to our selfish desires, he said we need to submit to God. And this is clearly the point that James is wanting us to understand because he repeats that thought over and over. Verse 7, submit therefore to God. Verse 8, draw near to God. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. That's the key. When we come to the feet of Jesus, we humble ourselves, we draw near to Him because this battle that we face within and without and with the devil, we don't have the strength to We need to draw near to God. We need to experience His power. And if you look at verse 6, you have this statement that He gives a greater grace. A greater grace. Therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to whom? To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. God's grace is enough to save us from the penalty of sin, right? By grace, you've been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, the any man should boast. But isn't God's grace powerful enough to save us from the power of sin? Or do we have to continue to live the way we've always lived? And to say, well, I guess that's just, I'll, just always, I'll just always struggle with that. You know, isn't there victory? Can't Jesus give us victory in our walk with Him so that we're not constantly... Conflict with others in the body of Christ. Well, Paul in Romans 7 talks about the battle that goes on, right? Things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And he comes to the conclusion, oh, oh wretched man that I am. Then he asks the question, who shall deliver me? <laughs> who shall deliver me? And what is the answer? Jesus, right? Jesus. Jesus can deliver us. We don't have to live in this constant butting heads and conflict that Satan wants us to experience. Submitting to Him instead of our selfish desires. And then the second thing that James says here, and he's pretty hard hitting here. He says instead of taking our sin lightly, we need to take our sin seriously. Find it interesting how he addresses them in verses 8 and 9. He he seems to be addressing people that don't seem to be bothered by their sin. They were fighting and and quarreling with one another. And you get the impression that it wasn't that big of a deal. Look what he says in verse 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that's quite a message, isn't it? I heard it say to you, quit your laughter and start crying. Quit your, your joy and, and start mourning. Be a little bit more gloomful. Huh? It almost sounds like in the world. It's supposed to walk around like we've been baptized in vinegar. We're just 
You know, we've got no joy. But, but who is he addressing here? Evidently, people who were in conflict with, with one another, and, and they, they weren't dealing with it. He said, it's time to be miserable, time to mourn, time to, to weep. And I'll tell you what, this is a message that really isn't welcomed in our culture. And it's a message that isn't welcomed in many congregations today as well. Because people say, I want to feel good about myself. I want to leave church feeling good about myself. I don't want to leave church feeling guilty. I had one lady tell me that one Sunday morning many years ago. I don't want to feel guilty when I leave church. Pastor, why do you feel guilty? Well, you didn't have an answer to that. I said, well, if there's, if there's sin in your life that's unconfessed, that guilt comes from God and you need to deal with that. You need to confess it. Repent of your sin, and then there's joy, right? Then there's real joy. But he's writing to people who, who needed to repent. People who are taking their sin lightly. If you want an example of what was going on, look at verse 11. He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. The fourth time now in this epistle, we see James dealing with what? The tongue. Must have been a common thing, huh? Must have been a habitual issue within that group of believers where they were using their mouths in a way that was not edifying one another. Tearing one another down. We saw that from chapter 3 where he describes the tongue as a fire that causes great, great pain and suffering. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the accepted sins in the church today is gossip. Using our mouths in a way that dishonors the Lord. The word speak against in verse 11 is translated slander in other places in the New Testament. And it's written in the Greek text as a command to stop something that is already going on. Okay? So he's not just saying, you know, if you ever do this, you've got to deal with it. This was going on. And it was written as to stop something that was already happening. So those to whom James is writing were in the habit of slandering one another. And James says, this has to stop. You are creating quarrels and conflicts with your mouth. It's time you stop. I'm sad to say there are too many believers in Jesus that are creating quarrels with their mouth. They don't know how to control their tongue. And it causes division. It causes conflict in the church. It causes reputations to be damaged. I'll mention it again. You saw the election. We'll just take as much garbage as we can, throw it at the wall, and maybe some of it will stick. That's the culture we live in. And I'll tell you what, it, not ought to be, it ought not to be the culture of a congregation. God forbid creating conflict with our mouths. What's the solution? 
James says, you need to humble yourself before God. You need to draw near to God. You need to cleanse your hands. You need to purify your hearts. You need to be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. What is that? That's repentance, isn't it? That's describing repentance. Genuine repentance. When there is sorrow for my sin, what my sin has done to damage the body of Christ, what my sin has done to grieve the heart of God. Hard hitting. But it's a message needed, I believe, in the church today. There were two missionaries in Korea who had disagreed on some policy matter at their mission conference. And they were upset with one another and they left that conference with with a little anger and and little hard feelings with one another. But when they got back home to their places of service, they couldn't rest. Neither had peace. They both sensed that there was something wrong. There was something wrong in, in their relationship. And finally, one of them could stand it no longer, so he boarded a train and traveled 100 miles to meet with that fellow missionary with whom he was in conflict. And when the two of them met face to face, they embraced one another and they wept. They mourned over their sin, what it had done in that relationship. And they asked God to forgive them and that God would rekindle the love that they had for one another, that sin had had diminished. Something interesting happened. They didn't realize what an impact this would have on the body of Christ. But the news of their reconciliation spread among believers in that area. And many believers who were at odds with one another were reconciled. And after believers were reconciled, you know what happened? That work grew. There were many souls that were saved. Many people came to Jesus because those in the body of Christ were willing to deal with their sin. Reminds me of Second Chronicles 7.14, doesn't it? If my people who are called by my name, who's that? That's us, right? will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Wait a minute. Are we going to call our sin wicked ways? We should. Turn from their wicked ways. What does God say? Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Are you in conflict with someone today? Is there some relationship that you have that you know isn't what it ought to be? And maybe you're thinking, well, they ought to come to me. Not my problem. Oh, yeah? If you know there's something not right, 
You be that missionary that hops on the train and travels 100 miles if need be. And says, brother, sister, we're part of the same family. We don't want conflict. We don't want issues between us to hinder our relationship and to hinder the work of God's kingdom. Don't let Satan tell you that there's no hope for reconciliation. That's what he wants to whisper in your It won't help. It won't work. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before that brother or sister in Jesus. Be the one. Be the one to make peace. And see what God can do. Now maybe they won't reconcile. Sometimes people won't. But what does Paul say? As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we grieve as we hear of stories of conflict. and We grieve, Lord, when we witness that ourselves within the body of Christ. Lord, would you give us the grace, would you give us the strength to turn from those things that we've done that may have caused conflict, to genuinely repent of our sin and to seek reconciliation with those with whom we might be at odds. Lord, you're the one that gives a greater grace You're the one before whom we are to humble ourselves, to draw near. And we have that promise that you will draw near to us. Lord, you've forgiven us a great number of sins. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us for the glory and the praise of your name, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.